Most of the male runners figured if any woman wants to run 26 miles in a driving rain, let her run. But veteran Boston trainer Jock Semple thought the whole thing was silly. No, there's enough competition for women. What the heck? Why did they want to tackle the, the, the toughest thing in the world? It's just the women and their stubbornness just want to do something that they're not supposed to do. That's all there is to it. You know that. You're married. That was 50 years ago. In the time since, women have made remarkable progress towards equality in sport. Today, 40% of all athletes are women, and yet women still receive less than 4% of media coverage. The Iron Woman podcast wants to help change that. We interview female professional athletes and other remarkable women making breakthroughs in endurance, sport, and research. So that when I grow up, I will have heroes. I'm Alyssa Gadeski. I'm Haley Chura. And I'm Rosalie. And you're listening to the Iron Women Podcast. Hey, Alyssa, have you ever come out of a race with a really bad sunburn? I sure have. My very first Kona, I'll never forget. It was awful. Well, I think I have a product for you. Zelio Sun Barrier SPF 45 is a zinc-based and water-resistant sunscreen. It's long-lasting, oil-free, and won't sting your eyes. I've used it, and it works great. I'll have to try it because I have heard that Zelio's products are designed and tested by champion triathletes like Heather Jackson, Lindsay Corbin, Jesse Thomas, and Rachel McBride. Wait, did you forget someone? Oh, that's right. And our very own Haley Chura. Well, Zelio's products are made with high quality and long lasting ingredients to stand the test of the hottest days, sweatiest training sessions, and toughest elements. They give athletes like us confidence and peace of mind to perform at our best without worrying about our skin or hair products. The products you won't want to train or compete without are the Sun Barrier SPF 45, the Twix Chamois Cream, Swim and Sport Shower Products, and the Body Lotion. You can use the code IRONWOMEN at teamzelios.com to get 20% off. And now, the ladies you've been waiting for... Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. Bye for now. Haley, welcome to another week. Did you even know where you were with this new intro that we have? I love the new intro. I'm excited. I hope our listeners like it too. And if they have any feedback, they can always uh, write into our mailbag, right? And tell us if they love it or if they don't love it. Yeah. Ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. If you love it, tell the world. If you have some constructive criticism, send it to the mailbag. (laughs) Ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. How are you doing, Alyssa? I'm good. Haley, I feel like I have a bit of a training hangover today, actually. I had a big three days of training. I'm running an ultramarathon in Spain in about geez, 10 days now, I guess. So I had one big little push to finish up. And I got to do another Rogaine event. And I swear, I just cannot wait until the day when I can do these all the time, which would also involve needing a time 
in the world where they are all the time because they are somewhat rare events, but they're super, super fun. 10 hours in the woods, just about an hour south of me in Natural Bridge, Virginia. And it was really cool. My navigation though, Haley, I have to say is like on point right now. So if you ever need to get anywhere with a compass, I'm your woman. That's a good skill to have. So to remind our listeners or to welcome any new listeners, Rogaining is orienteering, right? But competitive orienteering. Competitive orienteering on foot. And so basically it's like a trail race, but there's, you have to get to certain checkpoints, like as many as you can, or ideally all of them but you get to choose your route and you have to find the checkpoints using a map and compass. So super fun. There's actually a ton of them. If any of our listeners are around me in the mid Atlantic, this is like the hot spot for these things I've learned. So definitely reach out if you have any questions, I'll help you. I was helping someone on Instagram the other day, find one near them. So I'm just, I'm really all about this new sport, but what have you been up to Haley while I was out getting lost in the woods? I've been trying to stay warm. I think that I know last week, most of the country was experiencing the polar vortex, but it seems like everyone else warmed up and then it got really cold here. So it's been pretty cold. I think we were below zero for several days, um, zero degrees Fahrenheit. So it's, it's cold enough that even cowboy does not want to go out for a walk. I put him in booties the other day. It was kind of cute. He didn't love it, but then he got used to it. So, um, that's just the problem. His paws get too cold, but Honestly, it's too cold for me too. So doing a lot of the indoor workouts, the trainer, the treadmill, the indoor pool, um, but still getting a lot done and it is beautiful. You know, it's, I have to say the winter, it can be harsh, but all the snow is, it is beautiful. It's nice to look at. And Haley, did you happen to, have you gone to our favorite male listeners website <laughs> lately? I'll, I don't know if I should call him our, our favorite and make the other guys upset, but Torsten Rad, our favorite male statistician listener. We'll, we'll give him that category. German statistician <laughs> listener. <laughs> he, um, he takes the cake there. So Torsten does the website, tryrating.com. He also, does, he's been on previous episodes of Iron Women talking about some of the like Kona previews and stuff like that for the women and giving us all of the stats. I know he's helped Haley and I in kind of pre-race situations before. He's always available to help give you some information on the women we're racing against and, and his opinion on, of course, like how we can make our races better and capitalize on that data. So I did a little bit of searching on his website the other day, Haley, and I had gone there initially because he had let us know that he put out his 2018 kind of like money wrap up post, right? So that's where he gives a breakdown of all of the facts and figures around the money that professional triathletes are making. Yes. He, he was kind enough to send us our figures as well. And, um, <laughs> I don't know if I want my num my number public, but, um, it's a little, it's kind of sad. I was, I mean, I, I obviously, I know how much I made, but it does give you kind of a glimpse into what pro triathletes make. I mean, according to Torsten, I made $20,000 in prize money in 2018. And, and to give you, I won two races. I was second in a third. I got fourth in two Ironmans. My lowest place was sixth. So I was in the money in every single race I raced and I made $20,000. So when we talk about, you know, this being hard and then when sponsorship money is drying up, yeah, that kind of gives you a glimpse into what it's like. And, and it is interesting. I noticed a stat on there where he shows year over year, you know, total prize purse. And it has, I think the last two years, the prize money for WTC for Ironman and 70.3 races has gone down 5%. 
Yeah. So that's all super interesting to kind of take a look at if you, you know, are curious about that. And it's kind of a good preview for an episode that Haley and I are working on this month and we'll be releasing towards the end of the month about sponsorship and marketing and how professional triathletes are managing that and kind of the industry standards for now. We're bringing in a couple of the marketing directors from a few of your favorite industry companies and they're going to give us some insight to their side and Haley and I will talk a little bit about it from our side and hopefully that will shed some more light on that whole arena for you guys. Yes, always check out tryrating.com and thank you to Torsten for compiling that data. And for our listeners too, hopefully you were listening last week, but this is week two of our February contest where you can win a Wahoo kicker. So we have the entries rolling in and I'll just run through really quickly for everyone who might have missed it or needs a reminder that the grand prize winner, you're going to receive over $1,500 in Wahoo training products. So the grand prize is a Wahoo 2018 kicker, a kicker desk, and a kicker mat. And the first runner-up prize includes a Wahoo Element Bolt bundle, which includes the Element Bolt bike computer, a ticker heart rate monitor, an RPM speed sensor, and an RPM cadence sensor. So the grand prize winner, the first runner-up prize are both pretty amazing things. And you could train in 2019 like your favorite podcast hosts. So <laughs> Haley, tell them how to enter. So to enter, you go to livefeisty.com forward slash Wahoo dash sweepstakes. And there is a little entry form there. And I've been told that when you enter, you enter with your email. I think you fill out your country and then you can actually get a bonus entry if then you share that information on social media. So I think there is a like a link right there after you enter with your email information to share it via social media so you get a bonus entry. So definitely thank you to everyone who's entered. Thank you to Wahoo for sponsoring this excellent contest. And if you haven't gone on there, please go do that because you only have until the end of February to enter. Haley, our mailbag has been filling up which I absolutely love. So ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. You can send in questions anytime and we'll take a stab at them. And now that we have a bunch, kind of we'll, we'll pull them out episode by episode. So if you haven't heard your question, keep listening in future episodes for it. And the first one we'll do today, Haley, is from Jamie. And she just started listening to the show last year. She listens every week. So thanks, Jamie. And if you feel so inclined to leave a review <laughs> so with our other listeners, it always does help. So you can take some, some time to do that after we answer your question. But she's curious if we incorporate strength training into our training. And I think our Haley first things are like devout from episode one listeners will say is that we're going to say, you know, working with a coach is always the best thing before you start incorporating anything extra into your training. Right. We talked to Marilyn Jakota, a, another coach like last season. And so if you want to check out, I think it was about a year ago that we interviewed her and she talked really specifically about strength training for triathletes and, and how it also like it kind of, it depends, you know, which is the question, the answer we always give, but it turns out what your goals are. It depends on how much time you have. It depends on your age. It depends on your athletic background, but in general, yes, there's always going to be some kind of strength training, whether that's 
you know, low cadence work on the bike, which is strength training, you know, pulling in the pool is strength training, running hills is strength training. But I think what Jamie's getting at is more gym work, which, yeah, that can definitely be incorporated as well, but it's a little bit more individual, I think. And you have to, and it is work having a coach or having, you know, someone that you can chat with on, on how it will fit into your life and into your training can be really valuable. Yeah. I think it depends a lot on your age, how long you've been doing the sport, kind of your background in sport too. And like Haley said, kind of your goals and things like that. Like when your season's really going to start, is this your off season or not? But I think, you know, personally I, and I think Haley does too, we incorporate strength training in it, just mine ebbs and flows, you know, through various types, times of the year. You know, it's a little heavier when I'm doing ultra running stuff and I need a lot of strength to be going up and down mountains. And it's less time, quite honestly, in the season when I want to be getting bang for my buck with my training hours. And maybe, you know, we've decided some of the hours where I've spent training is best spent doing the functional strength work that's built into the workouts, like the hill work and the pulling and the big cadence stuff on the bike. So, you know, it it definitely ebbs and flows, but I do think strength training, there's a lot of benefits to it. And so working with someone to help you incorporate that into your own personal training is a good idea. And Haley, we'll go to question two, if you're ready. I'm ready. So this comes in from Brandy and she has a question that last summer during a weight loss and fitness journey, journey, she made a great friend who took her under her wing a little bit and started mentoring her, her teaching her all about running, biking, and of course, finally swimming. She, this person sounds great. So we really love this mentor she had because she never said a word about having to do like walk runs and stuff when Brandy was learning to run and all of that was going on while the mentor was training for an Ironman. And so now Brandy's saying she kind of understands exactly like what her mentor did for her. And she realizes that their like own goals and capabilities might not match up perfectly, but she's curious about how they could still train together, even though they're at very different levels because they do enjoy training together and it makes it really fun, but she doesn't want to hold her back. So I've been on both sides of a relationship like this. So I have been, I've definitely been the slower person or the less experienced person who someone took under their wing. And I would say like, I mean, it's an amazing, it's amazing that people will do that. And honestly, like that's the only, it's, it's one of the best ways to learn in this sport. And it is one reason why I then went to the other side where I could take other people under my wing because you have to give back. And I will say from when I've been the faster person, I usually don't feel like the other person is holding me back or I would, you know, invite the other person on, on workouts where I knew it was, it was okay to rock run, or I knew it was okay to, you know, ride more aerobic. Or even if I had intervals on the bike, you know, we would, we would have a kind of an agreement where, okay, we're going to go 10 minutes hard. And when I get, when, you know, we'll go different speeds. And then during the recovery interval, I'll turn around and go back and regroup. And then we'll ride the recovery interval together and then go ahead, come back. And so you get to do the warm up and the cool down together. As we've mentioned, I'm a a big fan of indoor training, which you can be riding on your kickers right next to each other. And one person can be at hundred Watts and the other person can be at 500 Watts and you're still right next to each other. So, you know, that's another way to do things. 
I would say it's great that Brandy is aware of this and she can be, you know, she can be like, okay, to her mentor, like, it's okay if you go ahead, like, let's regroup at this point, that kind of thing. So that her mentor is getting her training in and they're both, you know, enjoying each other's company. Cause there is something about that, that social component that is extremely valuable to both parties. Yeah, I think, Haley, you answered that so well. And I think, Brandy, if you haven't sent a similar email like this to the woman who mentored you, let her know for sure, because I think she would love to hear this. And like Haley said, just letting her know that you're like aware of the fact that maybe you're at different levels still and things like that, but you appreciate her and you want to find a way to work together still is is really cool. And then I think that'll just keep the lines of communication open between you guys because you both are on the same page, right? And so... You know, if if she reaches out and wants to go for a run with you, then she knows your pace and you don't have to feel like you're holding her, her back. And if you reach out and she says, hey, I got a, you know, I actually have an interval today, run today and let's warm up together. And then, you know, you guys both have the same expectations or something like that. So there's so many ways to make it work. I also do things a lot where people will just meet me for like a segment of a run or a ride or something like that, you know, especially if. I'm training for longer stuff than them. And it's just a way to, to break up my own training. And I just build in that part with them or something like that. So having an advanced plan, like it, whether she works with a coach or not, or if she just can plan her training, maybe a few days in advance to give you a heads up so that you guys can like sit down and or chat about it and make it work. But there's, there's a lot of ways and it, it does make it a lot more fun. So hopefully you guys can figure that out with that advice and keep training together. Cause that's awesome. I know it is so cool. The relationships you can make in the sport are, are fantastic, whether you're the same speed or not. And Haley, our last question comes in from Jen and she is having a question about dealing with injuries and staying positive and motivated when sidelined with an injury. This winter, she's been trying to kind of, she's been restricted a little bit with something that's been nagging her and she's just finding it harder to stay happy and positive because she's not getting the same endorphins that she usually gets from exercise as well as just having the social aspect and being outside. So she's kind of starting to realize that she's relying on it as that outlet for her happiness. And so she's concerned that now that it's taken away, what should she do? So Jen, actually Haley and I are not going to answer this question for you right now because this is an excellent lead into the interview that we have for you guys this week. That's right, Alyssa. This week we are talking with Kate Mahivik Edwards and Kate is a physical therapist at Precision Performance and Physical Therapy in Atlanta, Georgia. But her story is really what makes her extremely unique. She was an avid runner and a budding triathlete who discovered she had a heart condition that ultimately ended her athletic career. In case you don't know, February is American Heart Month. And heart disease is the leading cause of death for men and women in the United States. And every year, one in four deaths are caused by heart disease. And we know that we are talking to an athletic population and that most of us are pretty healthy and we exercise and eat well, but it's still something that we should, should be aware of. So Kate is going to join us on the show today to tell her story of love and loss and to talk about her book, Racing Heart. Wahoo is dedicated to the journey of every athlete from a sprint to Ironman. Wahoo is with you every pedal stroke, every stride, and every trying moment with the commitment to make you better. As endurance athletes themselves, Wahoo provides an ecosystem of products, including Kicker Smart Trainers, 
Element Bike Computers and Ticker Heart Rate Monitors to provide exactly what you need to reach the finish line and smash your training goals. Haley, do you know what our most popular Iron Women episode has been so far? I do, Alyssa, because you know I love the numbers, and it goes back to fall of 2017 when we interviewed exercise physiologist Stacey Sims. You are right, and do you know what Stacey Sims has been up to these days? I've heard she's working with Noon Hydration to help formulate some products that have the female endurance athlete in mind. Noon Hydration products have clean quality ingredients and are also non-GMO project verified, which means top quality ingredients for your body and the planet. Noon Hydration offers a range of hydration products for all your workout and recovery needs. My personal favorite is Noon Sport Fruit Punch flavor. What's yours, Alyssa? I like the Noon Sport in the grape flavor and our listeners can go to noonlife.com and shop with a 30% off code of Iron Women to find out their favorite flavor. And don't forget to let us know. That's noonlife.com with the code Iron Women for 30% off. Hi, Kate. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Kate, your book, Racing Heart, is effectively a love story. You tell us about how you fell in love with running and ultimately how you've coped with the loss of your own participation in the sport. You start the book with a story that I think makes you really relatable to a lot of people, including myself. And that story is about one of your first runs. Um, I think it happened the summer after your junior year in college. And you describe standing on the side of the road, feeling a little out of shape and asking yourself, should I stretch? Should I walk first? (laughs) Am I wearing the right clothes? Can you tell us a little bit more about that first run? (laughs) Sure. I remember it very well because it was so, I had no idea what I was doing. Absolutely no idea. And I decided, okay, I'm going to be a runner now. And so I did everything wrong that you could possibly do wrong. And I know that now because I've learned a lot and I treat runners all the time, but It was just incredible. I I sat there, I was stretching, thinking, am I supposed to be stretching? What am I supposed to be doing? Is this even a stretch? And then I thought, maybe, maybe not. What are these clothes I'm wearing? Do they, is this going to be okay running? Are they breathable? I don't know. So the whole time getting started for my first run, I really had no idea what I was doing. And I was a bit self-conscious about it, really. I had run some in high school and throughout my life, but it was at this point was the first time I really decided to be a runner. And how far was that first run? Just so that we can get a little bit of a context here. You mean total walk run? (laughs) Yeah, that counts. I actually, I can't remember exactly, but it was probably about a mile. And I, I think that's what it was. Yeah. A mile. And I might've walked maybe another mile or so around the park afterwards, but it was not far. Well, Kate, from that first run, you progressed very quickly and you went on to finish 13 marathons, including the Boston Marathon, and you also raced a few sprint and Olympic distance triathlons. But during three of those marathons, you actually passed out on the course and all three times the culprit was believed to be stress and dehydration, both like you thought it was that and then you had gone to see doctors and they treated you and thought the same thing. So at what point did you think maybe this is more than just dehydration? And I'm also curious how you even had the courage to keep trying after passing out in your, like not once, but not twice, but three times. 
I don't know if it was courage or if it was stupidity. <laughs> no. Um, all joking aside, I really loved what I was doing. And running for me was a huge mental release. And I think it is for a lot of us as athletes. You know, you go out, some runs are out there to perform and some runs are out there just to clear your head. And it was a lot of clearing your head for me. So when things would go wrong, I thought I was doing everything wrong. I wasn't very confident in myself, even though I should have been. And other people thought I was. Um, so I trusted what other people said and told me rather than listening to my gut several times, which I think is a really big point. I like to tell my patients at this point is listen to your gut. You know your body better than anyone else. If you're an athlete, you know. I knew that something was wrong with me for a while, but I kept pushing it aside and saying, there's no way. And then I got validation from a physician that said, oh, no, you're fine. And that, unfortunately, put me in a really dangerous spot. Can you tell us about the Philadelphia Marathon? And just that was, I mean, I read about it in your book where you're talking about you're, you know, you're within sight of the finish line. And I, I think it's interesting because your thoughts weren't, you know, something's wrong, but it was like, I need to work harder and I'm not mentally tough enough, you know, just because you were so close, you thought maybe you gave up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the Philadelphia marathon was really incredible. I was in good shape and I was planning on qualifying for the Boston marathon. It would have been the first time that I had. And the race itself went really well um, for most of the race. I would say all the way until about mile 25, I felt great. I stayed with a pace group. It was really easy. The weather was perfect. And then it hit me like a brick wall, honestly. I just, all of a sudden, I started feeling awful. And then before I knew it, I blacked out. I absolutely blacked out. The only thing that I remember is I saw the finish line. And I saw that I was about to qualify for Boston. And then I remember bits and pieces of, I remember somebody talking to me or two people talking to me. One person grabbed me by one arm. The other person grabbed me by another arm, picked me up and said, if you don't finish on your feet, you don't get to finish. You don't get a medal. It doesn't count. And so in my mind, somehow I got up and I crossed the finish line. I don't remember any of it. So I woke up in the medical tent. I have a flash of me getting in a wheelchair somewhere in my brain, but I really woke up in the medical tent and I was hooked up to um, an EKG machine. And I can't tell you how many doctors were around me. I just remember so many people around me. And then um, I just immediately sat up and, and didn't know where I was or what I was doing. So that happened. And after a while, they you know, made me lay down watched me for a long time and sent me home. And they said that I needed to see a cardiologist and follow up with a cardiologist when I got home. And I was really just shocked. I was like, oh no, that's fine. It's probably dehydration. So I went home and I saw a cardiologist and he did stress testing. And this was in my twenties. He did stress testing and a bunch of other testing. And he said that I was perfectly fine. There was nothing to worry about that. I was under a lot of stress and I was probably dehydrated, which is what a lot of people had told me previously. So of course I believed him at which point I thought, okay, Kate, you're just not mentally strong enough. Apparently your body is, um, is fine and you just don't know how to push yourself harder. So I took that bit of information from the cardiologist and thought, okay, all I need to do now is train harder and become mentally stronger. And so obviously healthcare can be different in every state, but it, 
you know, at this point or like other countries or whatever. And so, you know, people listening will also have their own perspectives and stuff on that. But, (laughs) you know, now knowing what you know, do you wish you had taken a different path at that point? And I guess coupled with that, can you talk about the tests that, you know, people with an athletic background, even if they're young and in their 20s, should be kind of looking for from a cardiologist? Sure. So I wish I had gotten a second opinion. Well, okay. So this is twofold. If you really want to know the honest truth, I'm glad I didn't because I never would have done all those other marathons and that, um, and been able to do triathlon and that's awful. And I know my cardiologist would hate me for saying that out loud, but it's true. I am where I am because of everything I've done and everything that I've learned through sport. But that aside, the smart thing to do would be to get a second opinion, especially after an event like that when you black out. So I'm very well versed now in cardiac disease and athletes, and we actually do a cardiac screening event at my clinic. We're having one actually next Sunday, the 24th. And one of the things that you need to know is that if you pass out in a race, it is most likely not dehydration. Passing out in a race is likely cardiac in nature. And so that's the number one thing. And that's something that a lot of people don't realize because they feel like passing out is more of a dehydration thing. The other thing is if you can't perform the way that you think you can perform, or you could perform a week ago or two weeks ago, there might be something wrong. Again, you know, your body as an athlete, and if something is off, get it checked. If you can't breathe or losing, you know, um, having a hard time breathing during a run and that's not very typical for you and it wasn't typical a week ago or two weeks ago, then that's a problem. There could be something else going on. I think anytime you get dizzy, dizziness um, can be, again, related to the heat. You know, we're in the South, so people are always like, oh, I'm just dehydrated. I'm a little bit dizzy from this. That's something else to think about. And palpitations. I have um, part of what I have is a cardiac arrhythmia and what it feels like are flutters in your chest and it feels like your heart rate gets really fast quickly. Those things out on a run, I had those things out on a run. And what I would have to do is I would be running and I would kneel down on the side of the road, catch my breath and then get up and go. And that's not normal. And I didn't know it at the time. Do you, I just, I guess listening to that story of the Philadelphia (laughs) marathon, you know, I have these images of photos that are on the internet of runners, just like your story who are like so close to the finish line. Right. And they start to collapse and, you know, maybe pass out. And then the other runners chime in and kind of carry them to the finish. You mm-hmm. cringe a little bit when you see those now. And one, cause like that was you, it sounds like very similar thing. Seems like it happened. And then you know, what would you kind of tell those people? And it's, you know, they're being good Samaritans. They're trying to help their fellow runners cross the finish line, right? Right. Well, I do cringe. There's actually a video I saw probably a few months ago that was going around on the internet about a woman at the Philadelphia Marathon um, that started to lose control of her legs and her body. And someone, you know, helped her. And it was a physician. And that made me sick um, just thinking about it because it was the same race. It was the same situation. So I don't like to see it, obviously, but um, good Samaritans are great. You, I, If you ever see it, stop and help if you can. I think it's really important. 
but make sure you don't just leave them. <laughs> Bring that person to somebody, to a physician, to a somebody who has like um, some kind of medical shirt on and a race. I work in medical tents at races around here all the time, and I pull people off the course if they look like that. And I know they're mad at me at the time, and that's fine, <laughs> but I would much rather them be okay um, than have something serious going on. Okay, going back to your own story, how did you finally figure out what was going on with you? Yeah, so it was a long road. It took over um, nine months to figure out what was wrong with me, which that was some of the, oh God, those nine months were awful because I kept slowly losing um, my ability to do things. They'd keep taking it away from me because I kept feeling worse and worse. And then all the anxiety that occurs when you don't know what's wrong with you. Um, so for me, that was a huge uh, mental challenge that that nine months. But I found out because of a genetic test. So I had already had several stress tests, echocardiograms, and I had two MRIs. I had EKGs, a, you know, family history, all of that. But the the thing that really diagnosed me was my genetic testing. And so once that and- diagnosis came, you had an ablation, which is a procedure to destroy the heart tissue believed to be allowing incorrect electric signals. So, you know, Haley and I aren't doctors, but we believe (laughs) that's essentially the Cliff Notes version of that. But that was unsuccessful. And so, so that was actually before you had that diagnosis. Is that true? Right. So it wasn't unsuccessful. It was actually very successful. But my heart disease is so much more complicated than that. So, an ablation can be a really great thing for people who have some kind of arrhythmia. And there's several types of arrhythmias. And an arrhythmia is when your heart rate and rhythm changes, okay? And there's different ways that it can change. My ablation, what it did is it burned one of the nodes in my heart so that my electrical signals weren't as all over the place. So I was getting so many, the scar tissue in my heart was causing the electrical signal in the heart to not go the way that it needed to. So I was getting a lot of arrhythmias and getting out of breath and having a hard time uh, staying awake. I was going to bed at like 7 p.m. and doing anything was really tough for me. So getting the ablation helped change that um, change that pattern. And now I can function a lot better. I, I go to bed at a regular time, like nine o'clock, <laughs> but it doesn't fix the disease. So with my particular disease, I will probably have to have several ablations down the road, and that's how they manage it, one of the ways that they manage it. Other issues that are cardiac may be totally fixed with an ablation. It just depends on what the underlying issue is. Okay, and that diagnosis was, correct me if I'm saying this (laughs) wrong, but arrhythmogenic right ventricular cardiomyopathy, or ARVC, did I say that right? (laughs) No, you're, you're pretty good. Arrhythmogenic right ventricular cardiomyopathy. So Okay. <laughs> so, and it's a rare progressive genetic heart disease that is actually made worse by exercise. So here yeah. we started this. We're talking about how much you love running. You love exercising. You've run 13 marathons and you get this, you know, you're training for your first half Ironman and you get this diagnosis that says exercise is making you worse, you know, making your heart disease worse. How did you cope with that kind of diagnosis. Yeah. So it's really interesting to think that your entire life, you spend your entire life trying to make yourself healthier and you're actually killing yourself. 
So that's not true for most people, but for people with what I have, that's the truth. And that's a really hard thing to reconcile. I still struggle with it, to be honest with you. Most days I'm fine, but once in a while when the weather's nice, like the other day it was, what, 70 degrees out here, and I saw a bunch of people out running, and I, I had a hard day. But in general, I think that I got some help. I think we don't talk about mental health enough, especially among athletes. There are sports psychologists you can talk to. There are life coaches you can talk to or other psychologists. I spoke to a psychologist slash life coach, and she really gave me a lot of strategies to help manage what I was feeling and the feelings of loss, the feelings of helplessness, the feelings of like, what the heck am I going to do now? Um, this is my entire life. She helped me with that. So I do have a lot of strategies and I focus on other things. You know, I'm still very part of the community, which some people may not have been able to do this, but I think that the fact that I can treat triathletes and runners all the time and that I can help them do a better job has made me happy. <laughs> so at least I can do something for the community that I love. And Kate, what kind of exercise are you able to do today? So I can do things that don't increase my heart rate or don't increase the blood flow in the heart a whole lot. So I do a lot of yoga. I probably do yoga five times a week, sometimes three if, you know, life, <laughs> if things get in the way. But I try to do um, yoga about five times a week and I lift weights two to three times a week. Now, when I say I lift weights, I don't do it like a normal, you know, like I don't want to use the word normal, but like other people. Um, I spend a lot of time laying down on my back in between sets and I can't lift really heavy weights but I still get to do it and I can still be strong, which is really important for me. And then I walk my dog all the time. <laughs> Although I don't think I would have called walking exercise previous to this. <laughs> how do you know you're not exerting yourself too hard? Or is how do you keep yourself, I guess, in check? Mm, that is a struggle. <laughs> because like all of us, you know, you think, oh, I'm doing great. So let's just push it a little harder. I wear a heart rate monitor and um, I still have my uh, my Garmin, my triathlon Garmin. And it's pretty good. When you have a heart strap, it, the data is better. But I use that so I can manage my heart rate. But now it's been three years. So I can also tell by my body. I, I will get wiped out very quickly if I've done too much. Like this weekend, for instance, I went on a hike um, with my family and about halfway through the hike, my eyes glazed over and my husband said, I think we better go home. And he knew and I knew. And then I had to take a nap, which is just incredible. But I did. So it's still hard to manage, but I use my Garmin and I try to use my my sense. And then I guess I, I don't have much background on this particular diagnosis, but my I know my dad has a pacemaker. And so... <laughs> You know, he, that's obviously quite different in that it's kind of regulating, I think, his heart rate and his heartbeat and keeping him in check. And so he has told me before that it's one of the like more interesting parts of that is that just emotionally, like the normal heart parts, things that happen with your heart when you get scared or nervous or excited are controlled by this so that he doesn't almost like feel those as much, you know, so in your case, with it, you obviously don't have a, a pacemaker there, but do you have to be careful, I guess? Like, you know, yeah. not even just running, like, you know, going <laughs> to like seeing a scary movie, you know? Like, I mean, I imagine some of that plays into it as well in terms of how your life has changed. Yes. And I forget about those things, which is really interesting. I still, new things happen. And I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. 
But one thing, you know, I got shocked after I wrote the book, actually, I got shocked again and I was dancing with my son. I have a four-year-old and we were in Italy and we were dancing. I don't know. And I got a little wild. Apparently I can't tell you what my dance moves looked like, but I was dancing a lot and um, I got shocked during that. And I never anticipated that happening. You know, there's little things like I can't go through metal detectors, but I constantly forget that I have my defibrillator. So I'll go through a metal detector and I'll freak out and call my doctor and he'll be like, it's fine, Kate, don't worry about it. But it's little things like that. Um, Going up and down the stairs, if I'm having a bad day, I, you know, I have to go slowly, things like that. So yeah, it comes up and not a scary movie, but you know, I heard that I'm not supposed to be too close to the front of a concert, which I didn't realize. I went to a concert recently and I thought, oh my God, that vibration might. And then I was like, oh God, I hope my defibrillator doesn't go off because of the vibration. Um, I was fine, but I now don't sit as close up front at a concert. And Kate, the defibrillator that you, you speak about, it's an implanted, I I guess it's ICD is the, Mm -hmm. um, is I had the acronym, but, um, And so that's a device implanted in, and it will, so if your heart rate gets too high, it shocks you. So it's like a full body shock. It sounds extremely painful. Yeah. It's like someone's kicked you in the chest across the room with something very, some metal boot or something. It's, I mean, doctors always say, and this is the truth. Doctors are always like, oh, it's not that bad when you get shocked. It's not great. (laughs) It does really startle you and it does hurt. And it depends on what kind of defibrillator you have. I have one that goes under my arm. It's called the subcutaneous ICD. And then it goes, the wires go on my chest wall. And because it's not inside my heart, it's on the outside. It has more energy. So I think it kicks harder. Yeah. (laughs) And you also mentioned your son. You mentioned dancing with your son. and, Mm -hmm. And this being a genetic disorder, how does that affect you as a parent? That's another hard question and something that we are dealing with currently. So because he has the gene, I've been told he can't exercise. He can't play sports. And so I always imagined us, you know, running in little races together, you know, going to soccer games, going to all of that. And that's not something that we're going to be doing. It's a struggle because I even walk by the elementary school he's about to start next fall. And I see all the kids running around um, doing, getting ready for the fitness test. And my son's not going to really be able to do all that. And so emotionally, it's very hard because it's hard not to blame yourself and it's not my fault. And I know that, but it's still difficult to think like, wow, you want to give your son everything or your child, everything you possibly can, but you don't actually think you're going to give them anything that'll hurt them on purpose, you know? So it's very hard and it's hard for us as a family to decide what to do with them. So we were told that he might be able to play baseball, and I'm not sure if it's because our the doctor wasn't sure what baseball was all about. Um, he said they just stand around a lot, don't they? Um, but it's not actually true. So he said we could try baseball but not do a lot of the conditioning. So we're going to try that because we want him to know what it's like to be as part of a team, and we want him to be active but just not too active. You know, he's four and he doesn't quite understand. He's starting to get that mommy can't run anymore because of her heart. And I do say to him on a regular basis, he'll say, I want to race. Well, I'll say, no, I'm sorry, honey, you can't race. You can run and play, but no racing for you because you have the same heart gene as mommy. 
Kate, in your book, if it's okay, I'll read a quote from there um, where you say, I never imagined a day when I wouldn't be able to run. To say I love running is a gross understatement. I love the feeling of each foot as it hits the ground, the breeze in my hair, the sweat on my forehead, and the peace I experience. I love the way running makes me feel, both mentally and physically, and how it gives me confidence, freedom, and hope. Even every step in my career has been about incorporating the sport I love, from the moment I started running right up until the moment I was told I had to stop. So I think that many of our listeners will totally relate to that passage and that feeling that you have of just your absolute love of running. And so looking back and knowing everything that you know now, do you ever find that you have trouble letting yourself like love an activity like that as much as you love to run? Is there a fear there now? No, I don't. I've really tried to let go of things since this has happened. I've learned a lot about myself and I don't let fear drive me. And I think that that's really important. I think prior to this happening, I would have prior to seeing somebody and talking about everything that came before this, I would have had fear of something, losing something else, not being able to do it, fear of loving something so much, but I don't anymore because I realize that that's all we can do, right? I mean, we have to love what we're doing. It's important to do things that make you happy. And Kate, you continue to work as a physical therapist, a career that you were encouraged to pursue after meeting one of your first running coaches, who was also a PT. Is it ever hard to work with athletes when your own athletic career was cut short? Yes and no. So I actually, I'd say 90 to 95% of my clients are triathletes or runners. So we have a very niche practice, which is, makes it a little bit harder because I don't actually know how to not treat athletes anymore, I think, because that's all I do. Um, It's hard some days. It's hard when I'm having a bad day. But in general, I really love helping other people do what they love. And it gives me a lot of pleasure seeing somebody who hasn't been able to do what they love for a very long time, guiding them back to a space where they can. I don't know. I just, I really love the sports so much that I just want to be part of it. And so often we see athletes tie their identity into their performances and their athletic careers. Mm -hmm. What is your advice there? Like, I'm sure you even have encountered as a PT an athlete who says, you know, not knowing your story, like, I don't know what I would do if I couldn't run or I wouldn't even want to go on if I couldn't run or do my sport or whatever, you know, like, what do you say to, to those people? And then to the people who are really just wrapping themselves up in the same, you know, blanket as their athletic performance? That's a great question. I actually do lectures and talks about this now. (laughs) Athletic identity is a really hard thing and a very important thing to realize. I didn't know my identity was so tied into running and endurance sports until I lost it. And so I think one of the most important things we can do as athletes is figure out what other things we love. We should give other things in our life a little bit more attention, a little bit more weight, and we should think about okay, what if I lost something? How would I cope with it? What are my coping mechanisms? So I think for many of us, running or cycling or swimming or whatever else or whatever other sport you have is a coping mechanism, is a way to clear your brain. 
having a second or a third way to clear your brain in, you know, as backup is really important. Whether most people are not going to lose their sport the way that I did, but you might not be able to train because you have a sprained ankle or you hurt your back. What are the other things in your toolbox that you've you've really nurtured, not pushed aside that you can grab when you're in trouble. I think that that is the biggest thing that I learned is I wish I had known other coping mechanisms so that it wouldn't have been such a hard transition. Kate, in 2017, the Minneapolis Heart Institute published the results of a 31-year study of race-related triathlon fatalities. And the study concluded that deaths and cardiac arrests during the triathlon are not rare. The numbers seem a little bit smaller than that to me. Um, I think it was 1.75 in every 100,000 people are at risk for death or cardiac arrest during a triathlon. So I don't know if it necessarily meant that we needed to all be super afraid of this, but it is definitely it's happening. Right. And Mm -hmm. what do you, what advice do you have for athletes? I mean, you've talked about listening to your body, but if you actually want to be proactive about your heart health, are there certain things that we can be doing, you know, in day to day during races before races just to, you know, not become that 1.75 in every 100,000 people? Yes. So first I want to say that it's not, that's not a huge number. It is rare. I mean, it really is rare. But family history is the number one factor. So if you have a family history of any kind of cardiac disease or if somebody in your family died young and nobody knows why, those are huge signs that you need to see a cardiologist and be screened. So that's the number one thing is family history. If you have a family history, seek out a sports cardiologist and do some kind of screening with them. And I have to say a sports cardiologist because the athlete's heart is very different than a normal person's heart and abnormal things that may appear as abnormalities in the heart may not actually be abnormalities. It might just be because it's an athletic heart. So that is, that's one of the things. And then the other thing is you can get screens. Like I said, in my clinic the next week, we're doing a cardiac screen. I have a sports cardiologist coming I'm telling a little bit of my story. He's telling a little bit of, you know, talking about warning signs, and then he's doing family history and EKGs on everybody to screen them and say, Hey, like you need to come in for a follow-up or you're good. (laughs) And I think that there are events like that out there, um, that you can do. And if you're not sure, just go get checked out. It doesn't hurt. And Kate, you have a couple of exciting things coming up. So I think we think you have another book coming out um, and also a show, The Whole You. So can you tell our listeners about these and where they can find them? Right. So my next book is really exciting. It's, I don't know the exact name yet, so I can't give you the exact name. I think it's going to be A Woman's Guide to Running During Pregnancy and Postpartum. And I'm co-authoring that with another PT, a pelvic health PT, Blair Green, Dr. Blair Green. And what we're doing is we are just putting it all out there because there are no resources for women once they are pregnant and have a baby on how to get back to their sport. So we're writing about all the different changes that have occurred in your body, things that you should be worried about, things that you shouldn't be, you know, signs and symptoms. But then we're also putting in exercises, things that you need or you can do to get yourself better. I wrote running programs. I, um, I had a coach, a running coach here 
Carl Levers helped me write um, some of the return to running programs in the book. So it's really cool because it's kind of, it's very comprehensive. And we even have like a running myths section, like all the things that we hear that we're not supposed to do. And then we answer those questions. <laughs> so that's really exciting. And, and then, when will, when yeah, will that book be out I in believe the next be- couple of months? Yeah, I think so. You know, these things, it's hard. Um, I like everything out as soon as possible, but the publishers and everybody else (laughs) have a different idea. So I think it'll be out in April, but it might be March or May. So it's somewhere between there. I'll let, I'll let you guys know, but it's very exciting. So, um, and I'll be having, I'll put it all over my social media. (laughs) And Um, what is the best way to buy your book? Cause I know that, you know, authors make different amounts of money from different sources. So what, like, what are the best ways to, if they wanted to buy Racing Heart or if they wanted to check out your new book, what is the best way to find them? So I put it on my website, precisionpt.org. There's a store and um, I have an ebook download there. You could do that for Racing Heart. My other book will be there too. If you're in Atlanta, you can get it at like Westride or Podium Multisport, or you can get it at my office. And tell us a little bit about The Whole You as well, please. Sure. So I did two seasons of The Whole You, and it's online, and it's a show that talks about how to decrease stress, different ways to um, make changes, small changes in your life so that you can, you know, be a better whole you. So I have somebody who comes in and talks about yoga and how that affects the body, about pain science, about meditation. There's all different things. A lot of the tools that I learned to cope with everything that was going on with me um, when I lost um, the ability to do endurance sports. So that's what it's about. I only did two seasons of it, though, because it turns out I had way too much on my plate. And one of the things that I learned I got obviously didn't learn it that well when I started the show, but I've learned now is that I do have to slow down a little bit and I can't do so many projects at once. (laughs) Well, it sounds like you're taking your own advice. So great work there. (laughs) Kate, thank you so much for coming on and thank you for being part of, you know, heart month with us and sharing your story. And, um, I know that our listeners are going to be very excited about your new book about running during pregnancy and postpartum. So good luck with that launch as well. Thank you very much. It was great talking to you guys. Alyssa, I loved what Kate said about trusting your gut because as athletes, we do, we know our bodies really well, right? We have all these gadgets who are, that are testing all these different metrics. We're recording them. We're uploading them. So we know our bodies really well. So if there is something that seems off, it's, it's okay to go, you know, get an opinion on that. Go talk to a doctor because you know yourself. Yes. So I hope this serves as a little extra incentive or reminder for people to be either getting screened or going to the doctor to talk about something that might seem a little off. Today is Valentine's Day and heart month. So all of the signs are pointing towards being your own advocate and uh, just taking care of yourself, guys. So hopefully you enjoyed that interview with Kate. And just a reminder to head to livefeisty.com to enter the Wahoo kicker contest. I can't wait for the rest of the month to see who's going to end up with that 2018 Wahoo kicker. I know it's a huge prize. And then also big thanks to our other sponsors, noon hydration, which you can use the code iron women for 30% off at noonlife.com. And Alyssa, have you ever tried noon with hot water? 
I haven't. It sounds like you have though. I have. I'm, it is like a staple right now. I mentioned in the intro that it is frid, frigid here in Montana. And so you, all you do is you just, you know, just add hot water to the tablet and you throw the tablet in there and it dissolves extra fast. So if you're extra thirsty, it's like ready even faster. And it's like the most delicious hot tea drink ever. It's, it's amazing. You need to try it. That does sound good. And we we're having some cold rainy days here, so I'll try it out this week and let you know next week. Definitely. And then also thank you to Zelios, um, our other sponsor. And again, that code is iron women for 20% off at teamzelios.com. All right, Haley, stay warm. I'll talk to you next week. Bye, Alyssa. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Please subscribe, like, and comment on iTunes. My favorite podcast hosts are Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. My favorite editor is Aaron Hamilton. The Iron Women Podcast is a live feisty media production. We want to thank our sponsors and partners, Noon Hydration, Wahoo Fitness, Zelios, Fen Coffee, FTC Nutrition, and Smash Fest Queen.